The Rambam begins in the fifth chapter of the laws of Teshuvah, which is the um, requirement for a person to have a fresh look at his life and perhaps to reach a deeper level of understanding and alignment with his true inner self. Um, so this this program that the Rambam puts across is structured in ten chapters. And really by visiting the concluding chapter one gets an inkling of where the process is going. And I suppose it's perhaps pertinent to begin there. When the Rambam in the ch- tenth pack chapter of <laughs> of uh, of, uh, of yeah of welcome really nice of you to join so the Rambam <laughs> the Rambam the Rambam the Rambam in the tenth chapter in the tenth chapter decorum says the following thing, and this is something which is really interesting. He says that the goal of Teshuvah is to reach a level of intimate connection with Hashem, the creator, the higher power, the, the maker of all makers. And he describes it in the following way. The point is to have love, and he calls it an appropriate love. And this is how he describes it. Who sheyahav es Hashem, that you should love Hashem. You should love Hashem. Okay, first of all, we have to figure out what does it mean? What does it mean to experience an emotion towards a invisible being? Love, love seems to be such a tangible thing. How do you, you know, when, when you love a person, so it's always c- connected to so much presence of that being in your life. But to love something which you can't see, feel, touch, hear, what, what does that all mean? But let's just go and we'll see how extreme this Rambam is. He says, you should love Hashem. Okay, well, what, what, how much love? I have a good dollar. Great love. Okay, great love, great love, I got it. No, he carries on, he goes, yes, Sarah. A lot. Okay, got it. Great. Avo Gdoilo Yusteira. Fine. Fine. Moving on. No. Rapper. Huge amounts. Whoa. Okay. Fine. Fine. We got it. Then he goes and he says, Oza. Powerful. Oh my gosh. It's like you kind of look for every adjective in the book. Admoid. <laughs> you have to love Hashem. A love which is strong, which is powerful, which is huge which is until you become completely enraptured in that state if you love sick when you're in love with a woman that you can't stop thinking about her when you sit down when you get up when you're eating and drinking will be the love of Hashem in the heart of those that love Him. 
And then he says, that's really what the Shema means when it says, Shetivan b'chol levavcha uvechol nafsha uvechol meidecha. That this is love. I mean, so again, this is where Chuva is trying to get you. It's trying to get you a state of an absolute, incredibly powerful connection to, to the Rebbeinu Shalayim. What does it mean? Man? How? Where? Who? When? What? What? I mean, I can understand about belief in a system and an ideolo- ideology of but an emotional attachment too seems outside of the realm of my experience respectfully suggesting Mr. Cohen Mr. Cohen Mr. Siegel Mr. Siegel strange strange very strange okay And then he goes, and in the very last halacha, the Rambam says, and this way it perhaps develops a certain direction. He says, Dovu Yadua Borrow. It's a known and clear. Matter. She ain't avas a college brochu nixeres beliboy shall odom. A person, the love of Hashem will not be bound in the hearts of man. Achi ishke botomit until you become completely focused on it. Karoi viazov koshib oilam chutz mena. And you leave everything else in the world but from this. It has to be a fully engaging experience. And then he says that you only create this love with the knowledge that you know him. And based on your knowledge will dictate the love if a little, a little. If a lot, a lot. That's why a person has to spend, spend time understanding and being enlightened. In the wisdoms and understanding. Which tell him about his creator. Something, however, this whole process of spiritual connection somehow has a... Has a way of approach through a person's mind. That becomes very interesting. That the mind will bring to an emotive connection. So there's many issues that this Rambam raises. First of all, this whole picture of what Shiva is trying to achieve seems to be a vision so distant from our cogent experience of reality. When we experience reality at a very, very, very far cry, we can even introduce the notion of spirituality as a tangible entity. And then it becomes almost clumsy because our visceral experience of the world that we're in precludes at its most basic level anything but what we absorb through our senses.
the reason why I feel mildly offended at the person sitting on my right is because judging by the expression of his face he's disengaged from the topic because he feels it's far too linear and he would have preferred a more humorous lecture with your other right? <laughs> correct I can understand that <coughs> so there's, there's, there's a way I process life is so intertwined with sensory input that it's very difficult to envision a life where the input that I'm getting is not through my senses. Well, where does it come from then? So that's a first-off question. I'd like to take it further and retrace our steps back to Chapter 5, where we began, yet, uh, well, whenever we began, a few days ago, where the Rambam says there's like deep proclamation of what I would call the ultimate creative power. Like this. It says the Rambam. Perikhamishi this time. In the fifth chapter. It says the Rambam. Fifth chapter. The Rambam. Chapter five. Chapter five. Rambam. Rishus kol adam nesunaloi. The word Rishus Rashut means a domain. Everyone has a domain. A domain is an area within which you can function. You've given space. Everyone's got their own space. Everyone's given space. And what's that space for? As a following space. If he wants to inhabit that space by being good, and to be righteous, he can have that space. Ra, if he wants to incline himself to a way of evil, Leah's Rasha, be evil, Harish's Piyadu. He's got the space. And now the Rambam brings a fascinating proof, as we saw previously, from the verse which describes what we would call perhaps the fall of man after the eating of the tree of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. And he says, Man has become one. To know good and evil. Humanity has a unique place in world, in the world. And there's no other species within the world that is similar to the human being. In regard to this, Shehu, that he may from his own self, but with cognition, and with pre-planning, he knows what's good, and he knows what's bad. And he can do whichever one he wants. No one's stopping him from doing good or bad. So the Rambam over here iterates the idea of choice. He goes and he says the following thing. Your decisions are yours and yours alone. Which he then begins as the whole preamble to the notion of rediscovery of self. Because if my decisions would not be my own, if they would be thrust upon me without me having a choice to choose otherwise, so then I would have no chance of taking responsibility for who I am I would be relinquished 
of the chance of being the architect of my own identity and I would be left as a robotic automaton going around my life in a predictable fashion. So this becomes really interesting because if we do have freedom of choice, so then we're going to have to throw psychology out the window. Oops. Correct? Psychology is based on the premise that people do not have freedom of choice. Because in order for me to develop a psychological theory, I have to do a series of experiments which show that given a certain stimulus, it will produce a certain reaction. Which means that stimulus will produce that reaction. Which means when the stimulus occurs, the reaction will occur. Which means you can't say, no, today I'm actually not going to react that way. I'm going to react differently. And yet we know psychology is profound. And more than that, it works. So therefore we can conclude that we do not have freedom of choice. And if we don't have freedom of choice, so then we do not bear responsibility for what we've done right or wrong, which means the whole notion of chuva is really doesn't even come into play. Because chuva is a revisiting of the way I've lived my life and a reconsideration of perhaps I can make it completely different. Well, but I can't because I'm pre-programmed to behave this way. Social programming, family program. It looks to me that in your chair you shift uncomfortably, Daniel Melly. Is this a problem for you? Um, no, I think you've given both sides. I agree. Oh, you I agree? Think, I think psychology works, but it just probably say it will, it will pitch you at a point to make your choice. It doesn't, like, there are cert- there's certain, certain things happens in one's life that puts on the position to be more inclined to act in a certain way. And then that person can choose whether they want to act in that way or not. But the whole reason why that point of choice, that the area, the sphere of where the, the choice is, is it is because of the psychology. So psychology gets you to a point, but then you make the decision in that point. I think you've kind of covered it. Always say that I've covered it, and then obviously I'll say you're 100% right. <laughs> what, what wise words come out from your mouth? So well, we're just wasting our time if we don't have free choice here. So are we just wasting time we don't have free choice? So now this is a really interesting point. How do we experience our lives and how do we experience decisions? And I think this is kind of at, 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 the, at the bottom of it. Because forget about what the theory says. When I live life, do I feel like I'm the master of my own destiny? Benji, it looks like you're nodding your head. David is shaking his head. It feels like... And David, you say no. It feels like that, but it always ends up being, oh, it's in Hashem's hands anyway, so or it feels like I'm not really, not, I, I'm just kind of picking A and B. Oh, so it's gr- gl- I'm glad you said that because the Rambam speaks to you in the next, ver- in the next halacha. He says, <laughs> Don't let this cross, thought cross your head that many people suggest. That Hashem decrees on a person what you will be. And a king. Says Ram, no, that's not the way it works. Anyone can be as great as Moses. Or as evil as Yeravim, as very evil king. You can be wise. You can be stupid. You can be merciful. You can be cruel. Or Kila, you can be stingy. Oh, sure, you can be generous. 
there's a net true of any other personality trait. And no one's forcing you. For loy goyzer love, and no one's decreeing upon you. For loy mishem moishchoyle echad mishnei adrachim, and no one's pulling you to either side. Elohumi atzmoi umidaito. It's you. It's you. It's you. Noite leezederch shiritzi. You choose the way that you want. Hushir miyal umer, and then he brings a verse from Jeremiah the prophet. V'kiven shekain hunim sazeh chaytu atzmoi atzmoi, and that's because that. So therefore, you're responsible for the mess you got yourself into. Rabbi. So I, I'm just like, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying anything conclusive. I'm exploring this. Because I think this is it. This is the crux of everything. The, cr- the crux. <laughs> so, yeah. I feel like what you're saying right now, I don't feel, I know what you're saying right now is a steer to what you've told us before. Okay. That's okay. You've uh, sold it before. Sold you or told you? See, there you go. That's you're a great, right. great, great freedom slip just uh, happening there in front of our very eyes. Yeah. Yes. Let me put it right there. <laughs> You told us before that your job is to tell Balichuva that they cannot be Rabbi Yashiv. But this is coming to say that we actually could do hundred percent. That was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> when were you wrong? Just now or then? Both. Or well, both. Well, you said he was wrong. Or neither. <laughs> the point over here is to get you to think, Mayor. Think, think, think. What, what, what's, what's this about? Very, very people like they run headlong into, I want to do Chuva. What does that mean? I don't know. I just want to do it. <laughs> But there's a whole, there's a whole background to what that means. There's a background to what that means. It means how do I interact with the world and its stimuli and myself and decision-making process? How much of my deep ideals do I manifest in my daily life? How much of me is a response to some kind of stimulus that actually when I do it, I think, oh my gosh, why did I do that? How much of me do I feel that I'm out of control of my own self? How much, do I do, how much of myself do I feel is addictive behavior that I can't resist? How much of myself do I feel is complete and total, full volition? So we know that there's like a whole range. Sometimes people say to me, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. He said that and then I got angry again. Why just not get angry? I couldn't help myself. I was sitting next to the cake and I had to eat it. Oh, you had to eat it? Like, well, why do you have to eat it? You could have said, no, I don't want the cake. No, no, I had to eat it. Why? Well, what was chocolate? Delicious. Mmm, moist. Moist. Rugal, rugal, rugal. I felt compelled to put that deliciously grilled sirloin steak. Almost melts in your mouth. Almost. Too close to lunch for this. No, I don't get a steak. Watch out, Yeah. I don't know why I said those words. I just wasn't thinking. Uh, they just came out. I don't know why. Inso- did, did, do you know what I'm saying? Like all yeah. these things. So That's now, really, 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 what is the basic topic? The topic of us: Who are we, and what kind of power of decisions do we really have? To what degree? We have the Rambam, we have psychology, we have ourselves, we have our experiences, we have our lives, and we start to think, and we start to think, and we start to think. Do I make decisions in my life? Do I? And if I do, how many of them are conscious? How many of them are unconscious? How many times, for example, how many decisions, conscious decisions, where you weigh up two sides and then finally say, I'll do this? How many of those have you made today, Samuel? I most recently made a decision before, after falling asleep in enough bright oats, to, uh, <laughs> to go upstairs and take a nap instead of going to Mustard Shear. And I stopped on the stairs, looked down, made eye contact with Yehuda Chaim through the window, and said, Come back here and stand. So I wouldn't fall asleep. 
Yeah. Okay, so there, therefore, the one second. That was that was that was that was really beautiful. So, <laughs> so you are about to slink off to your bed. Slink. Okay. And completely like lie down and go cold, and then you thought, no, I'm going to come back here. Okay. Now, what factors? did you weigh up in order to make that decision? Now, I want to be very clear about this. Because a decision, a decision, I was speaking about conscious decision. A conscious decision is not when there are two disparate drives fighting inside of you. I mean, it could be like this. This wasn't a decision. You had a drive to go to sleep. Call that the drive because of fatigue or tiredness or laziness, whatever you want to call it. Drive one. Drive two was a drive based on, on guilt or I would like to think, based on the entertainment value of the share. And therefore, you, those two drives kind of conflicted, happened to be the entertainment value of the share was a stronger drive, so boom, you land up here. That's not a conscious decision. That decision didn't happen about weighing up the merits of this and that, and coming to a logical conclusion as this is the way to go. When I talk about a logical decision, consciously, I mean that you weigh it up, and you think, okay, well, if I go and sleep, I'll be recharged, I'll be refreshed, I'll be happy for the rest of the day. If I go to the Muslim share, not only will I be bored out of my brain, but also be a little bit grumpy the rest of the day. Hmm, what would I rather be? Grumpy or not? But then you say, perhaps there's another point. The point is that I'm part of a schedule, and maybe it's healthy for me to overcome my desire to laziness. Oh, okay. And then you start to think about what's called starting. Could be like this, could be like this, could be like this. Now, the truth is, if you start to think about that in a conscious way, it's very hard to know how we'd live. Imagine if you had to consciously think about If I would be consciously thinking about I mean I'm not, I can guarantee you about what I'm saying Before I say it It would be something like this It would be something like this So guys I just want to Say Something it's like it's, it seems to be that the conscious decision is not only difficult, but it's actually also it's, it's almost it's, it doesn't it's not supported by by the life we live, because life happens at a pace quicker than we can consciously think. It's very much like if you as an as an analogy, um, if any of you any of you I don't know if any of you have ever played uh, have you ever played any sports, many. No, okay, so a bad example. Um, Jess, didn't you do, weren't you really good, Jess, at Monopoly? So, Jess. 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 So, you got your name. So, So let's say you're playing tennis, right? So, you're playing tennis. There's an enormous amount of strategy, and this would be like the sugi becomes really interesting. There's an enormous amount of strategy involved in tennis. But there's no way that when you're returning the ball, you can think about it consciously. Someone, someone gives like a, a lob to the back of the court, so you return with the lob, and as you return with the lob, you're already running to the net so you can smash his next shot because you anticipate that if he's a lob, he's going to be like on his back running to return it and the chance are it's going to go high and you can smash it down and you can win the point. But if I said to you, process that, so it'll be way too slow. You think, okay, one second, it's a lob, a lob, and look at the angle, and then by the time you made the decision, he would have already smashed himself, Correct. So now, this is really interesting. It seems to be that there's two mechanisms of thought process. There's one which is very slow and conscious, and there's one which is super fast. And the one which is super fast, we don't really feel it operating. We're not conscious of it. It just operates. And that's the one I'm using right now. 
Those the, that's the one I used when I made that incredibly good joke about Jess's name. I wasn't like, there wasn't consciously, oh, this is a great opportunity to make a joke about the seeming rhyming nature between the fact that Jess, who's so clearly not a chess player, plays chess and then, etc. You know, there are all those things that I'm thinking now, if I kind of readdress the situation and I process that, whoa, there was like so many things went into the decision, but I never thought about them, they just came out. So now let's rethink this mechanism called person, let's rethink this mechanism called decision, and let's think about it. So how does it work? We are making decisions the whole time because we clearly take one, one way over the other, but those decisions are unconscious. So that, where are they? Who's operating them? What is it, how does it work? And how does it become? And, do you understand? And I think that's the underlying surface of this whole thing called Chuva. Because until we can address the actual mechanism of decision-making, so the notion of change and, and coming back to a higher sense of self, it all becomes almost an impossibility. Because where does it begin? How do you activate it? It's a little bit like you have this machine, and you say, well, I don't know how to operate. Okay, well, we just... You know, often when people like, try to approach spiritual growth, they do it with like, the, all the good intentions in the world, not realizing, but there's a system. So imagine like someone drives their car into your garage, and you're a mechanic, maybe. I'm saying you are, but suggesting maybe it's a good career choice. And <laughs> he drives the car in, and um, you really have no, no knowledge of what an engine looks like or how it works. And he goes, hi, mate. You're here, mate. You say, um, the, he says the car's broken. You say, don't worry, I'll fix it. So he says, thank you. You know, you'll come back the next day. And then you open up the, the bonnet, the hood, and um, you look inside, and you, you have no idea what to do. So you say to yourself, do you know what? I really want to fix this car. And like you scrounge your eyes and you do a bit of a shockle. And like you randomly twist apart. <laughs> it's not going to work. If you don't understand how the machine works, you can't fix it. So I don't even know to what degree we understand how we operate. And if the whole point of Chuva is that kind of fixing up ourselves to a higher vision of self, and we don't understand the operating mechanisms of how we're functioning right now, so then how can we adjust the settings? Pray. There you go, just like one, two. Pray. Lord, Lord, give me a new person. There's a story, it's, like it's, a, very, it's, a, very, it's a very Lithuanian literature joke about a rov that a rabbi was asked a question. And it was an extremely complex question. And um, he spent hours picking all these books up the shelf, researching, researching, researching. And um, the same person asked another rabbi the same question. And he went into a room and he prayed for, for the right answer. An hour later he came out and he said the right answer. He found the right book. They had the right answer. In, and the other rabbi was still like pouring over the volumes. And he overheard the person giving the answer. So he said, oh my gosh, that's amazing. He said, how did you do that? So the person said, I prayed. He said, ah, he says, cop out. (laughs) 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 It's a real literature joke. Um, So I think that's something which which the Rambam kind of addresses. We're we're trying to reach this lofty level of this spiritual enlightenment which envelops and saturates every waking moment. And right now, how are we doing? Well, it's like so distant. Okay, well, how do we move towards that? I don't even know how to move one step forward because I don't understand how the machine works. So therefore, let's go back and like re-examine, well, okay, 
How do the decisions take place? What moves me? What motivates me? What are the drivers? How do they work? When do they start? What puts them on? What switches them off? How does it all work? And until we have a relatively good working model of all that, I don't know how far forward we could move. So now we've stopped in a marvelous place. Our heads are completely saturated with questions about this mechanism of self and how it operates, which is incredible because now we're going to have the drive, the dynamo, to as we go through our day, we'll think, oh, well, why did I do that? Because the question why is probably the most powerful one in this context. I'm going to go through my life and say, as I'm going through it, now why did I do that? Why did I say hello to that person? And why didn't I say to that? Why did I, again, you have to be careful that you don't drive yourself completely insane. Mm-hmm. Now, mildly insane, okay, but completely insane... Beware.